words are a tremendously important part of human life, oftentimes we use them to describe things to others. It's cold outside, I'm hungry, you know, I want food. But oftentimes, or sometimes, those words that we use actually create realities. Think of a big, the big reality of marriage, which is created by what? I do, I do, that's it, you're married. Words that, that create this thing. And God's word operates on those sort of two levels as well, of creation and of description. Now for God, obviously, it's, it's a little different, uh, certainly in scale, in the sense that all of reality, every single bit of reality that we experience in ourselves and around us, is the result of God speaking something into being. God said, let there be light, and there was light, etc. So God's word creates, in a sense, everything on that scale. And yet, in spite of this, God also chooses to use his words to describe things. And this happens because God has chosen to create certain things, us, who can understand words. And so part of the way that he wishes, in a sense, to create us or recreate us is through words that describe himself, that describe creation, that describe us. And those, those words that God speaks, we call revelation. Now, in the first reading with Moses, we hear about the prophets and, you know, what are the prophets, but people who are charged by God to speak his word to his people, sometimes about the future, um, oftentimes about the past and what God has done and what has happened, and oftentimes about the present, what must be done here and now. And ultimately, we see the, the perfection of that revelation in, in Jesus, who, God, who is God become man. But Jesus also speaks. He also describes. He also uses his words. And some of them are of description, you know. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Yada, yada, yada. Okay. But in today's gospel, we, we see Jesus' words operating as not just descriptions, but as these words of power, this word that drives out the unclean spirit. And this, you know, part of the reason Jesus does this is, is what? He wants this sort of obedience to his word. And, and that's sort of the core of the, our, our response to revelation, to God speaking, the obedience of faith. And that's why a key part of, of faith is not just believing what God says, but believing it because I believe God has said this to me and this is what he wants me to think and wants me to believe. It's God speaking, and that's, that's why I choose to believe. St. Thomas Aquinas, whose feast we celebrated on, on Thursday, has in one of his beautiful hymns about the Eucharist, um, Truth, he says, truth himself speaks truly, or there's nothing true. He's talking about the Eucharist and Jesus saying, this is my body. And we don't see anything happen on the altar. 
Now, there's not, nothing to see up here. But we know something changes, and we know by faith. Because truth himself speaks truly, or there's nothing true. So what, what does it mean, or, or what happens to us in receiving you know, this, this word of God, this kind of revelation? And I think the, sort of the first kind of result of, of receiving God's word as God's word is that it allows us to recalibrate everything in light of that. You know, we can, we can look at our own thoughts and emotions and feelings and desires and choices, and we can compare them to what God has said. You know, and do they compare favorably or unfavorably? And so it allows this sort of true measure of judgment for us to see, okay, how ought things be working in us? Without that revelation, what would we have? Well, we'd have other people. Well, you know, how, gosh, how am I doing? What should I be doing? You know, what's my standard? You know, should it, should it be Father Charlie or Father Kyle? Should it be the bishop, Pope Francis? I don't know, you know. So you have all those standards, and, and you know, other people can teach us things. That's why we talk about the saints. Saints can teach us things. But all of the saints, in a sense, still fall short of the perfection that, that is God. And plus, it doesn't. the example of the saints don't tell us, what is God trying to get me to do right now? Who does he want me to be? You know, he, doesn't, he doesn't want me to be the Immaculate Mother of God. That ship has sailed. That job is taken. I can't do that. You know? that uh, so, so what is it that he wants me to do? And so in my own life, in my own actions, in my own relationships, this obedience of faith allows me to sort of recalibrate. What does that look like? I was talking to a, a young person recently who was talking about an experience of prayer he had with the Jesus prayer. You might be familiar with, familiar with it. It's a big part of the Eastern Christian tradition. It's very simple. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the student said that he repeated it, you know, a number of times to himself. And he said, you know, it was kind of, in one sense, it was, it was difficult at first. It was uncomfortable to sort of sit with that reality, especially that, that last part, naming himself as, as a sinner. But he said, you know, it was good. It was good, you know, to repeat that over and over again and to sit with that reality, to be open to what God has revealed. And so he ended up uh, trying this with his, uh, his Bible study that he was running. And he said, all right, guys, you know, it's kind of weird for me, but it was kind of good, so we're going to try it out and let me know what you think. And so they did this together at the end of their, their Bible study. And he said, you know, it was remarkable. Every, like, everybody liked it. Everyone had this really good experience. And in thinking about what he said, he was like, well, that's just that's sitting with the truth. It's sitting with the truth of, of who Jesus is, Son of the living God, naming that reality, the reality of sin in our own lives, and the reality that this is someone I can ask for mercy. All three of those are, are important things to sit with. So that's one way of interacting, I think, with Jesus' word and that kind of obedience of faith. 
But I think another way is to really see Jesus' words as something powerful, something that can actually change us here and now. You know, with this particular healing exorcism miracle in, in the gospel, you know, a lot, a lot of people say these days, well, gosh, why don't, why don't miracles that happen in, like, in, the, in the New Testament, why don't those ever happen anymore? Of course, they do happen. They happen all the time. Big miracles are a dime a dozen, you know. That's what, put Google to good use, you know. Look up some miracles if, you're, if you doubt me. You know, the stories are all over the place. Big miracles. The blind seeing, the lame walking. This stuff happens all the time. I want to give you a a little snippet, a little example. I I think I've used this before, but it's worth telling again. When I was teaching high school, uh, teaching sacraments, and and I told my students when we were talking about confession, those people I've talked to who are sort of in the biz, you know, of fighting demons and spiritual warfare, they all say that confession is the best thing to use in spiritual warfare. You might think it's exorcism, but it's not. It's actually confession. And... One of my students, who I thought never listened to me, was listening, and came to me a couple months later, and he said, Father, I want to talk to you about this experience I had. He said, you know, I, I got involved with the, you know, this occult magic stuff, you know, when I was, you know, a couple of months ago, and, and basically did that. It was, it was a coping mechanism for depression and family drama. And so he got involved with this stuff, and... It took him to a very, very dark place. In the sense, and dark in the most literal sense, like he felt there was a presence in his life, an actual, like, evil presence following him around. Really tremendously dark, couldn't shake it. And, and he wasn't, I would say, the most practicing Catholic, but he got to a point where he was so desperate, and he remembered what he said, what I said, and so he decided he was going to go to confession. So he went to confession, not to me, and he came to me afterwards and he said, Father, i got to tell you, you know, this is what had happened in my life. And I went to confession and he said, as soon as the priest said the words of absolution, that dark presence disappeared totally. He said, not the depression, and my family's still a mess, but, but this dark presence left. And, and he went into confession seeking those words of forgiveness, not just as a forgiveness of sin, but as this kind of word of power to drive evil out of his life. And I think part of the reason it it worked for him so well in this instance is because there was this openness, this openness to the power of that, that word spoken in the sacrament by the priest. Now, it's one thing I want to sort of warn about, you know, that sort of has come to my mind recently about this one of the traps that we can fall into while, while seeking to follow Jesus in, in obedience and in faith. Which is, one of the ways that we can get tripped up is by the desire for understanding. Now here's the thing. Understanding is a good thing. You know, understanding on a human level. Like, you read something in Scripture and like, I don't know what this means. And you read a book or you ask somebody who knows. That's a human level of understanding. And that's good. There's also a divine level of understanding where you become so close with God in your relationship and in faith that you really just start to get how he works. And that's the gift of understanding. It's a a beautiful thing. It's actually what happens in heaven in a perfect and full way. There's this really seeing into the mind of God and how good it is. But the danger here, the trap, 
that I've encountered recently is it can be a real trap to, to think, well, I need to understand before I will believe. And it's such, it's such a trap because what, what's actually going on in, in this particular person that I was talking to is it was really a, a desire for control. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with wanting understanding on a human level or a divine level. It's a beautiful gift that God wishes to give. There's nothing wrong with wanting it. But to wait for that in order to believe and, and to live as God wishes us to is the, wrong, is the wrong sequence of events. And you think of it in terms of like climbing up a mountain. When you've reached the top of the mountain, you can look down the mountain and you can see the exact road that you took to get all the way up the mountain. But when you're, at, when you're climbing up the mountain and you look up, you can't see the road ahead. Maybe you, maybe you can see 50 feet ahead before it zags again. And that's all you get to see. And in the life of faith, what, what Jesus shows us by faith is the next 50 feet. The understanding only comes when we can turn around and look back and see the road that we have traveled. And the farther we go down the road of faith, the farther we can look down the mountain and see, oh, this is, this is where I've gone and this is what God was doing. And look how, look how high he's gotten me. And it's actually the, a great image that I, I, I read somewhere of St. John of the Cross. He's this great spiritual master, great writer about the, the steps up the mountain of God. And this person said he was able to, to write so well about these steps because he was someone who went all the way up the mountain and he could look down and he could see the whole thing. It's a, it's a beautiful gift of understanding and a great thing to pursue, but it's pursued in faith. It's not pursued by trying to take control or needing to see the whole road ahead. So ultimately, it's about giving ourselves to the Lord and, and to trusting Him. I want to leave you with a prayer by St. Ignatius of Loyola called the Sushipe prayer. It's a very beautiful, very beautiful prayer. I invite you to close your eyes and to sort of pray along in your hearts. Take, O Lord, and receive all my liberty my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and possess. You have given all to me. To you, O Lord, I return it. All is yours. Dispose of it wholly according to your will. Give me your love and your grace. And that will be enough for me.